is the expression of the human experience through music, sound, dance, movement, and anything else that we can do to talk about what it means to be human. Well, this is the Minot Arts Podcast, a map to the arts in small town America with your hosts, Justin. And Chandel. And today's guest is music education advocate, uh, performer, director, and environmental advocate and man of many hats, Tim Bauman. Welcome. Yeah, thanks. Thanks so much. That is a new introduction for me, but I like it. That works. <laughs> I never have anybody write the introduction for me, and that all, it comes out strangely every time. <laughs> it's always on the fly. So, Tim, can you give us a little bit about your background and how you became involved in the arts, or um, and maybe a little bit about how you became involved in um, like community building? Because it seems like that's been a pretty big thing recently, at least. Yeah. So I feel like, you know, my origin story needs to maybe start before Tim was even around. Um, My mom was a band director at the middle school and high school level for about 20 plus years. And my dad was a trombone player. We'll just leave it at that. Um, And they met on college. I feel called out. Are you saying (laughs) trombone players are a certain... Like, are they, is, you're, you're making, yeah, you, yeah, yeah. We'll, just, we'll let people interpret what they need to, uh, but, uh, music has like, was just a really big part of their, you know, connection. They actually met on college band tour. Um, and so growing up with my older brother and I, like, I think I was like a solid 17 when I realized that my friends got to like choose if they were in band or music like I didn't realize that that was a thing um so with that in mind like I started piano lessons in second grade um went to band concerts in utero um and like went to my brother's band concerts then uh, when I was a kid and just kind of always was involved in music um uh, and, and sang in a children's choir, then was involved in choir band orchestra when I was able to be as a wind player, um, and then decided that music education was something that I really loved, and I wanted to go to school for that. So I went to the University of Wisconsin-Eau Claire um, and pursued a uh, Bachelor of Music Education in Instrumental Music, uh, which is a fancy way of saying a band teacher training, um, and taught for four years at the high school level in Wisconsin, um, covered everything from jazz band to concert band to marching band, um, music technology, composition, AP theory. Like we, we kind of had to wear all the hats um, because our school was a very heavy music school, but we, uh, we needed to have a lot of course offerings to just keep all of our full-time teaching loads um, intact. And so uh, just kind of gleaned a lot of skills from all of that. Um, And while all of my teaching stuff and my education was happening, um, starting in college, um, I I made a very brave trip for me at that time to come from Wisconsin up to North Dakota to work at a place called the International Music Camp right on the border. Mm -hmm. Um, I I remember going to my college mentor and saying, uh, I want to work at a summer music camp, thinking he was going to tell me, like, you should do this other one that was a lot closer to our university. Um, And he's like, you should do this one in North Dakota. And I was like, crap. Uh, that is not the answer that I expected or wanted. And now I have to do it because like, I respect the guy. Um, thankfully it was an amazing, uh, 
decision that changed the course of my life. So fell in love with the International Music Camp, with the programs, what it does. Um, fell in love with another counselor, my wife uh, of now 14 years, Christine. Uh, we met there and uh, kept coming back because it was a place that we loved. It was people that we loved. And over time, it became a mission that we both loved and shared. And so fast forward, um, four years of teaching in Wisconsin, one year of teaching overseas in Hong Kong. We then um, applied for and were, were given the positions uh, to be camp directors here at the International Music Camp, and we moved here in 2013 and have been involved in music making and community uh, ever since. So, Chandel, you asked a little bit about um, community making, too, and I think that comes uh, also from my background, even just as a kid. Um, I actually grew up in the house that my mom grew up in, um, even though mom and dad, you know, traveled uh, away from home to pursue degrees and professional um, trainings and certifications. Eventually they ended up back home. So uh, everything that my parents did and modeled, um, whether it was through the university where my dad taught or the public school system where my mom taught, um, was all about building community and, and empowering people, kind of helping people move from where they are to where they need to be and then sending them out the door. So um, I think this is probably like building community in Minot um, and the greater North Dakota area really has a lot to do more with just fulfilling what I was raised to kind of do, um, which is take care of people and um, meet them where they're at and see what they need and then kind of progress through through whatever process we need to go through to get to the next step. Okay, I'm going to take a step back just because you rushed through a couple areas. Sorry. That, <laughs> I mean, they, they were, you know, big parts or what I imagine were probably big parts of your journey. It, teaching in Wisconsin, um, teaching overseas, you know, that that part of things. So where did, did you grow up in Wisconsin? Yeah, I grew up um, right at the intersection of rural and urban Wisconsin. So, okay. um, like, woke up and regularly heard the cows mooing. We we lived farm adjacent, so um, we didn't own cattle or manage a farm, but all of our neighbors did. And so it was very uh, regular for a neighbor to call and be like, uh, I need the boys to come help bale hay today. And so my brother and I oh. would get voluntold to go over to our neighbors and help with that. Um, there's one instance that I just remember vividly of we were going to see the Minnesota Orchestra because we were about 45 minutes outside of the Twin Cities area. And so we all got on our orchestra clothes and we were so excited to go to the, you know, big city. And, um, you know, we were familiar with it, but it was still an exciting thing. And we got halfway down the driveway and it was filled with dairy cows that had gotten out of the fence. <laughs> and so like we just without saying a word, my dad just like pops it into reverse, goes back to the driveway. We all get out of the car. Everyone puts on their farm clothes. We get the four wheeler out. We like go wrangle all the cows in again, close the gate and then get back, change and go to the, you know, 20 minutes or I should say 45 minutes later, we're, we're in orchestra hall listening to a world-class symphony. And those That's were very amazing. normal things in my life. Like that was, that was a normal day. It did not go in my journal diary. <laughs> there was no entry for that. Yeah. So that, that, that's amazing. I love that. I, I grew up on a farm, but also had parents that, you know, saw value in going to a professional production of something on stage and that's that's not a common experience for a farm kid even though you were farm adjacent you still you had all those experiences of being a farm kid yeah. so yeah to do that 
And then, so you ended up, you were teaching, you taught for four years. What were you teaching? So I taught high school band um, in Western Wisconsin and um, a, a kind of a, a bedroom community as well to one of the larger, more regional anchors. Um, and again, my job there was pretty multifaceted. Basically, I, it was the concert band, but then all the, the, the branches of jazz band, pep band, um, uh, marching band, everything that goes with it. So it was a really huge job. Um, and it was engaging and wonderful, and I loved it. Um, but I also could see the writing on the wall that, like, oh, this this might kill me. <laughs> this <laughs> might just do me in. Um, and it was a strain on on you know our our marriage. We had just gotten married, and it was really difficult to like you know this, this is the one weekend in the next three months that we're available to go visit family because otherwise we're we're always working on weekends and we just had obligations. Uh, but yeah, it was phenomenal. It was a band program of 170 to 200 kids. Oh um, wow and a lot of excitement um and it was really uh formative for me i think to go through the highs and lows of being a first through fourth year teacher and one of the things that i really learned in that experience too um in addition to all of the you know cutting your teeth in terms of classroom management mm -hmm. and, and administrative work and all of the things that go with that um was also just the concept of like if you if you are not the authentic Tim when you enter into the room that you're supposed to be, you're A, doing a disservice to the people around you and B, doing a disservice to yourself because you can't, you can't keep up an illusion or a, a, a facade for so, so long. And so um, I think there I really honed probably the second part of your introduction of like also an environmental advocate. And mm -hmm. I realized that that's always been a part of me just from my upbringing, I think. But um I can't really let it like hide. I don't lead with it usually, but right. you know, like my kids at camp know like, Oh, Tim, tell me put that knot in the recycling bin. <laughs> 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 or, you know, it, we'll, we'll talk and then a staff member will just out of the blue be like, also I realized that I didn't turn the lights off in that room for like eight hours when I left. I'm really sorry. <laughs> it's okay. We're good. We're good. But um, yeah. So was Christine working at the same school? Was she also teaching them? Yep, yep, she was. So we, our first year um, of being engaged, of teaching, um, she was in a different community down in southern Wisconsin. And then once we got married, uh, she was teaching in that same school. We actually shared a classroom. Um, mm. And her office was on the other side of, of the room, which was always really fun because the kids would be like, how did you know that fact? And I was like, well we have ears all over, <laughs> you know, like we, know, we know things because they'd say it right outside Christine's office and, um, and then we'd chat about it later. So then you end up in Hong Kong. Mm -hmm. How did that happen? Yeah. Um, that's a great question too, without getting into too many of the details. Um, 2012 was a really challenging year to be a public school teacher in Wisconsin for a okay. lot of reasons. And, um, I, remember talking to my mom about just like some of the frustrations again mom being veteran teacher high school administrator by this point um and i was just so frustrated with so many things and um and she just point blank told me like tim you have to protect your soul like there is no job that mm -hmm. is worth losing who you are mm -hmm. and if staying in this current job in the current situation is going to take away from you as someone who loves you, maybe you need to go somewhere else. Like it's okay to do that if that's what it means to protect yourself. And that was kind of the like, okay, that I needed of, of 
like, okay, it is okay to pursue some other things and maybe take some adventures that uh, are on my bucket list and to-do list and things that will take care of my family and um, keep us all happy and well. So, yeah, we uh, we went through an international job fair. We applied. Uh, we went in uh, literally on, like, a Thursday going, like, Europe or bust. We're going to be in Europe. Like, <laughs> DOD schools in Germany I've heard are really great. And we walked out of there on Sunday afternoon with a contract to go teach in Hong Kong. And we're kind of like, this wasn't at all what we expected, but this is what we got. And it turned out to be a phenomenal opportunity, both um, as professionals and as individuals and a couple um, to go take that adventure. So then were you teaching music in Hong Kong as well? Yeah. So um, we were teaching in an international school and um, Christine was in charge of the five through 12 orchestra program. And then I was the third and fourth grade general music teacher and then a choral teacher at the sixth through eighth grade, the middle school level. Okay. So you're teaching students who are from all over. Yeah. Yep. So, um, yep. There were, were students from uh, primarily Southeast Asian countries, Mm -hmm. um, but there were folks from America and Canada and Europe and, you know, all Hong Kong, Hong, sorry, Hong Kong is a really um, big melting pot of just East meets West. And so there are folks from all over. So like what an incredible training ground to like eventually running an international music camp. Yeah, it, uh, I, I would trade nothing for those opportunities uh, because it was just an incredible amount of perspective. And I think like we've talked about sometimes an opportunity to make mistakes and learn like, oh, that is the awful thing and thankfully this is a low stakes arena you know like in this particular setting and um, so able to like refine some skills there about um, what it means to work with international communities and people of different backgrounds and cultures and life experiences and cultural expectations even Um, we're not even talking about like he said this and then he did this this is like oh your grandparents have instilled in you from a very early age that this is a very important priority for you. And then it's, you know, vice versa happening um, with another person. And so just being able to distill, I think, what maybe some of those sources of either cultural conflict or individual conflict could be uh, has proved really valuable. Would you say that there's any, there was any unexpected, like large contrast culturally between teaching music in the States versus in Hong Kong and in that culture. Yeah, there was. Um, and without getting into too many of the details, I think... Uh, We've got time for a few. Yeah. <laughs> well, I just think I need to watch myself, too, because uh, some of these stories aren't mine to share, so there, mm. there's just oh, kind of observations. Sure. Sure. Um, but uh, I think it made me actually really appreciate many of the elements of the American education system um, and some of the... Uh, appreciation for some of the challenges that exist in our education system and also appreciation for some of the incredible things that can still come in spite of those or in some ways like because of those challenges not that I'm advocating for those challenges or or barriers to to sure continue but um it was a it was just really eye-opening of, of just different, again, perspectives on what education is and whose responsibility is motivation and education within that system and learning and growth. Um, yeah, so just very eye-opening. A, a huge thought experiment um, that I think is still kind of churning through my brain and definitely was in 2013 when we came back here just kind of processing, you know, what did I just experience and how does that relate to what I had before and what I'm, I'm doing now? Um, definitely shaped perspectives and views. Yeah. Do you find that um, those 
experiences influence um, any of your own creative work? Hmm. And this is, you know, speaking not just, not necessarily from like the span of like just your musical creative work, but like thinking of, I guess in general, I don't know. I always say like our, our life is art or whatever. So yeah. like the thing mm-hmm. that you do is your creativity. Yeah. I think one of the, maybe the biggest kind of broadest takeaways might be the idea um, that in art, in, in music, in so many things that we do, representation does matter. Mm-hmm. And um, it's important for all of us, whether we're four or 44 or 84, to see, to like see someone doing something to understand that we can also do that. And we can say it, we can talk about it. But I think that one of the most effective and most powerful ways is to to actually see like, oh, they're doing that. I can do that too. And working with kids of a really diverse background in Hong Kong, I really and just some of the conversations that we had, I became very aware of like, there are there are certain people that I, because of who I am, how I interact with the world, um, will be able to inspire to go on and achieve lots of things. And then there's other people that I need to help share that load with so that all my kids that I serve can can just see like, I can be involved in music for forever, or mm-hmm. I can be involved in art for forever, or I can be involved in this community for forever or this school for forever. And so um, I think in some ways that's also allowed me to be a little more like, I don't conform or I don't like, you know, I'm a little different than everyone here. That might be an okay thing. You know, like there might be someone out there that needs to, to see that they could do this because I'm doing it. Right. Yeah. So you've talked um, quite a bit about your teaching experiences Um, What about your, like, your own art and your music-making background Mm. and experience? Yeah. Um, So I've kind of explained a little bit my background, um, which in some ways, um, sometimes people are like, oh, you must, like, just music must be the way that you calm down and music must be the way that, like, everything you do in your free time. And um, I think music is actually a little bit, more of a job and I'm okay Mm. with that like that's something that I've just had a lot of training on with you know lessons and piano lessons and lots of skills and rehearsals and you know five years of applied studies in university on both piano and oboe and like so there is like oh no I'm I mean I enjoy doing this work and it's really fun and I love the community element of it but at the end of the day I am here to do my job like I I will deliver on what you need me to deliver and that is great and then I sometimes enjoy just reading or going for a run or doing environmental things. Like sure. it's, it's a little bit of a shift there. Um, but uh, here in the community, I, I play in the Minot Symphony. I direct the Minot Community Concert Band with my wife, Christine. She, she plays in the symphony too. Um, I teach, uh, I have a, an individual or private studio that I maintain with some young oboists. And um, I play in a wooden quintet called the Sub-Zero Winds based out of the Minot Symphony Orchestra, which, uh, fun plug, we're actually doing our first like outreach tour next month where oh, we're going to be performing at um, uh, schools and communities um, in Northwest North Dakota and then give a free concert in the evening on Tuesday, November 7th. I'll send you that info too, but it's um, it's a really neat opportunity, I think, to get out in the community and kind of share mm-hmm. a little bit of, of what we do. I think you will probably just be finishing with that by the time this episode comes oh, out. Oh, that's so totally fine. That would be, <laughs> yeah. be cool. No, no, no that's that. great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I really enjoy playing, you know, going through my, my training as a teacher. Um, 
our university actually had a really kind of unspoken rule of like you also need to be a performer and not just an educator like how can you Mm. how can you educate high level musicians if you can't do it yourself so there was a very much a we were not a conservatory but um several of my colleagues have gone on to professional careers either as solo performing artists or um with university professor you know teaching positions or professional symphony gigs and um so there's always kind of been that drive of like i do need to perform as best i can do i have the time to devote to it as much as i would love probably not but um i i do my best and and take care of things and um, make my own reeds uh, for oboe, which is um, really soul That's suck. That's fun. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's great, and it's really nice when I can actually control the scenarios and like do a little bit of scraping on the reed and get the result that I want. Um, it's devastating when I can't. <laughs> uh, I go into a very dark night of the soul at that point. But um, it is it is a cool skill to have and very empowering. Yeah. Kind of like you know. I, I learned <laughs> learned how to skid in a small rodent in anatomy class in high school and felt like, all right, if the apocalypse comes, I'm set. Like, <laughs> I'm ready. <laughs> I can feed myself and my family. We're going to be okay. Um, but, yeah, uh, so we perform around town uh, and um, I think just help provide some opportunities for more live music and art in, in the community. I, uh, you know, in terms of we, this community just, has so many amazing creative people and and what we would call creatives um i actually don't know that i would consider myself to be in that i'm very much like a a a duplicator which is crazy (laughs) because i can't tell you how many times outside of the maca realm i've heard people bring you up and talk about what a gem you are like what a gem your talent (laughs) is to our community and like so that's really funny to hear that That well i I think you've got creative in like a wide range of things and you just added a new one with constructing your own reads like that's that's absolutely (laughs) part of it i also do really love this isn't the first time we've heard um somebody say like i don't know i kind of just feel like it's my work right mackenzie ploof came on and Mm -hmm. we were like oh talk to us about your passion in the art and she's like no i just it's work like it's my work um and that's fascinating to me because I the amount of work that you have put into your art Mm -hmm. I can't imagine having the kind of drive without like you know the the passion behind that Mm -hmm. like that's it's really interesting it's a different association of passion right right yeah so I'm gonna go a little bit back to the journey Hmm. because it's a it's a Kind of a fascinating journey, and I'm I'm going to call out your mom just briefly because what a wonderful moment for for your mother to do that. Um, I I don't know your mom personally. I'm going to you know guess based on your age that she's either an old, a younger baby boomer or an older Gen Xer. Um, that to say something like that is maybe not necessarily in the realm of somebody, you know, around that same age group. So what a, what a wonderful experience for that to be a part of your journey. Um, and getting you out into <laughs> something that becomes completely different and inspiring and in many ways as teaching in Hong Kong for a year. Then you end up coming back to North Dakota where you initially weren't wanting to go to when your when your teacher told you to go out and do that. Like how did how did that 
transpire like you said i mean chris you and christine met at international music camp so you had that connection um but she's not from here Mm -hmm. uh like what what where did that go how did that journey happen what what made tim okay i'm gonna go to northwest north dakota and run a music camp on the border of north dakota and canada yeah Okay, well, uh, again, maybe this is the teacher in me, but I like let's get our context correct on this. Um, when I look back at my, you know, eight years of working at the International Music Camp, I see a huge and infinite amount of breadcrumbs that were kind of scattered throughout. Or, mm. you know, we were talking about clover seeds earlier, like the seeds that had kind of been laid for making this move an okay and and really good move for us um, as a as a couple a family and also for just our professional careers as well um and and then i think i also um really strongly believe that we have no wrong turns in life we just have detours and um so so working through the international music camp every summer we began to know a lot of the the professional artists and teachers and educators and people um, who were involved in music and the arts in north dakota and uh, with its proximity to minot we began to just know a lot of minot people and had some history um, with a lot of the people who are involved in the music and art scene here already prior to even moving to north dakota Um, there were a few like gosh just one-off comments that um, campers and individuals would sometimes make to like, I remember at, at that point in our lives and, and currently still, we were both regular practitioners of yoga as a form of physical activity in addition to other things. And um, one of my campers told me like, oh yeah, my dad teaches yoga, uh, you know, back home in, in Minot. And that stuck with me to the point where like we were literally doing a pros and cons. And I was like, well, we know we got yoga classes <laughs> and we know that like not to be stereotypical, but the yoga community is developed enough that there's male teachers like that speaks you know pretty well like we could okay. probably do pretty well there and we knew there was a symphony we knew there was the university some of those things that were were common in our homes and like part of our our hometown experiences growing up um we knew a lot of people we had a lot of friends here already so um through those eight years of working at imc we we had already kind of i think unknowingly built a foundation for us to move here um and then i think also just kind of Reflecting a little bit on, I think by that point we were 27 or 28 and prefrontal cortexes had finished forming and we were able to make like (laughs) adult choices. Um, And, uh, you know, our careers are in many ways what we choose to invest our time and energy in. And um, at that point we were we were able to just kind of go anywhere in the world. And it was a decision of what do we want to invest our time and our energy and our 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 you know, who we are in. Um, and the international music camp and the Minot community were very much really comfortable investments for us. We, we could see with, with, you know, rose colored glasses off the, the pros and cons of both organizations or both entities. And, um, we were pretty excited about being able to spend some time with people that we really loved in a place where we felt like, um, we could, a, fit in really naturally and be still make a difference and, and have a positive impact. Um, you know, and I think like Minot is just such a unique community. Yes, we're very rural uh, in comparison to other communities. It's a smaller community, but we have the Air Force Base. So there's just kind of this constant churning of ideas and people. And um, 
we're big enough to have a little bit of anonymity, but small enough that you can, you know, if you invest your time and energy, you can still make a big impact in the community. So, um, yeah, that, that kind of moved us back. I mean, I, I won't lie. We, we left Hong Kong. I think we stayed one night in the twin cities with family and then like drove the next day and we got to Fargo and like, that's the point where kind of the sky opens up and you're like, Oh, there is nothing on the horizon for days. Uh, and that was such a contrast from, you know, like in Hong Kong, we had a small building at seven stories. And so you'd have to, you know, just look straight up to catch mm -hmm. any glimpse of the sky or horizon. And, um, and here it was just all there. And, and there was this sense of like, just awe seeing it again for the first time, maybe with that perspective or realization that like not everyone gets this. This isn't like, this is something that is so unique to this part of the world. And I'm just going to enjoy that for whatever it is. Like this is something that, that so many people don't ever get to experience. And, mm -hmm. and I do. Mm -hmm. So you've, you've, you've had these experiences that um, have really taken you down a winding path of unique experiences. And I, I, I do, I do enjoy the fact that so much of it is on the border of, um, of rural versus urban um, obviously Hong Kong is not, Yeah, but <laughs> that was very but, or urban. Sorry. Right. But that, but everything else is just like right on that borderline where you are adjacent to both experiences simultaneously. Mm -hmm. And I, I wonder after growing up, having both working in a climate that has both and then experiencing Hong Kong, what, cause I, I know you well enough to know your passion for this area and for the, the rural culture that exists around here. Um, what is it about that, the, the rural element that influences what you're doing mm -hmm. that, that is driving you in these situations? Yeah. It, I, I think I can say pretty confidently that it is just simply a love of, the rural experience that is so near and dear to my heart. And like as a kid, um, I mean, in addition to like waking up and seeing the cows, I also remember the morning that like the elk farm fence broke. And so it was like Christmas morning and I looked out my window and like Rudolph was there, uh, <laughs> which was an amazing That's offer. So fun. Yeah, it was great. And then, uh, and then, Turns out it was an act of vandalism, and it was a long story. But we ended up <laughs> getting help to so get them back into. But you had a magical moment. That's yeah, what you can we did focus on the that. magical moment. Yeah, <laughs> there it is. And Rudolph was there. Um, you know, I think I think more than that, it's it's probably an understanding and empathy for um, a lot of the challenges and the really difficult things that it means to agree to when you agree to a rural life. And it means that you're probably going to have a little bit of isolation. It means that a lot of the amenities that you might take for granted in an urban situation are not there. Um, but it also means that you have, um, on the positive side, you know, access to nature and, and the natural world. You have the ability to, like, do things with your hands that actually yield something. Like, there is nothing more empowering than like putting a small seed in the soil and caring for it and then getting 87 zucchini out of it. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, 
you know, there there is. I know just, a lot of people around here that would disagree. Yeah, <laughs> uh, there is something that's really really wonderful about that. Um, my, like I said, I grew up in the house that my my mom grew up in and was surrounded by uh, relatives near and you know like right down the street near. Mm-hmm. Um, Case in point, my brother, one year for 4-H, had to make an angel food cake. The power went out halfway through baking the angel food cake, but it was still out of my aunt's house one street over. And so we loaded everybody up in the car, drove over to Aunt Mary's, and like popped it in the oven, and he got grand champion in the foods division. Oh, wow. like, it was it was a miracle. That's but um, so, like, so the new recipe now involves a pause in baking. A exactly. Bit of a <laughs> exactly. Yes. Uh, the panic. You can taste the panic in it. But um, to be to be fair to like my dad's side of the family also grew up within close geographic proximity, and um, there there are pros and cons to all of it. But one of the things is just being able to be a part of my relatives lives and have them be a part of mine um, and have that closeness. And, and sometimes those things aren't found as often in the urban setting. Um, I, I guess I, you know, I just maybe to go on a little bit of a tangent, I also just appreciate the, like the times when I'm in small town America and be like, no wonder people with like only urban experiences are just so freaked out by this. And then vice versa, <laughs> you know, like, like being in on the L in Chicago, you know, for our annual trip that we take for work down to a conference there. Like I feel very comfortable in that mm-hmm. setting, but then I see something and I'm like, yeah, no wonder someone who's only lived in small town America would, would just be totally freaked out by that. But yeah. it's, um, it's just an appreciation, I think, for for the really cool and awesome parts of of both of them. And um, you know, we live in town. I I feel very comfortable in an urban setting, but I absolutely appreciate what what it means to also live out of town and have a farm and all the work and also the the really great results that you can get from it all. I could, I don't know. I feel like I'm not doing a great job of answering your question. No, but no I think you are. Yes, yeah. yeah, like I think you are, and I think. Um, yeah, it's really cool to think about the breadth of perspective that you get living, like teetering those two worlds. Mm-hmm. Because then, you know, when you're in one, you recognize the limit of the perspective of the other. and But you have that. You get to hone that and share that. And right. so that's cool. And then also I'm recognizing uh, where you said in or to go back to what I was saying about the passion thing. It's like you maybe didn't have the passion about just playing the music but it's the planting of the seeds mm-hmm. like that's mm-hmm. where you use music to do that yeah right yeah absolutely yeah well in the traversing the two worlds i i just like every i love everything about that analogy and what you're doing and i do i do that i mean you, we've had that conversation chandel you and i because both of us have spent enough urban time and enough rural time that we can like similarly, I complain about traffic on Broadway constantly, but I love driving downtown Chicago. Like, and it doesn't make any sense, but in my brain, this is something that makes sense to me. So yeah, yeah. and being able yeah. to have both those experiences, it makes you able to appreciate what each offers as well. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I think help translate too for people, and mm-hmm. I think that's maybe something that. Um, I'll just say is is maybe lacking in our discourse as a nation of just mm. being able mm-hmm. to understand um, without getting too deep into anything. But, you know, that ability <laughs> to, to translate between um, like 
oh, I feel so comfortable with this, but mm-hmm. I can also understand why you don't. Yeah. And, and recognizing the validity of somebody else's perspective, even though it's not the one that you hold. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah. What I, we have here is a failure to communicate. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Concentrating on the music side of of your art and what you do, um, you you do a, something a little bit unique um, when it comes to the work that you're doing because you're not, it's not just, it's not the school thing that you were doing before because now you do the community concert band, which is a blend mm-hmm. because you have people in their 70s or 80s and you have high school kids in there um, all combined. And then the other side of it, is your work at the International Music Camp, which is taking a diverse range of kids from all over the place. Yeah, okay, it's principally North Dakota, Manitoba, Saskatchewan, but you get them from everywhere. Uh, My daughter is texting Kate from Ireland constantly (laughs) after this this last summer. Um, So you have this unique opportunity in the realm of people that you're interacting with Uh, where I'm not going to ask this question correctly and it's not going to it's not going to come across right where did that drive come from because that has to be associated with the rural and the community for you to pull this together. How, how did you become that? Like where, like maybe are you talking about like the ability to work with diverse groups? Like the younger kids and the older people? It's the drive and the passion. It's the, it's Mm. the work that's being done. It's not the how. Yeah. It's It's how much It's the Tim of it. Mm. And still maintain a positive attitude. Can we mention that? Like (laughs) you appear to be one of the sunniest people that Mm. I've ever met. And I, I've I've seen you upset like twice. Yeah, like, <laughs> and I'm and, sorry for that. <laughs> but I also know how you how you respond to negative circumstances, and you're able to take it. And as opposed to how oh, they did, blah, 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 they were delightfully noncommittal. That was one of my favorite Tim lines uh, of the last year. You said that about a group, and I'm not going to name the group. Yeah. But they were delightfully noncommittal. That's very Tim. So you do something incredibly complex, but you do it with ease. Well, thanks. Um, that, that's very kind of you, and I, uh, I work really hard at that. Um, I think to help make it a... Um, I want to make spaces where everyone gets to be there and feels comfortable to be there. And, um, and I'm, I like to think of myself as very proactive and I know that I'm surrounded by a lot of other really proactive people who help make that happen. And, um, it's, I, I feel like I contribute a little bit to that, you know, general, uh, cohort. And I definitely get a lot out of just being surrounded by people with those same intentions. Um, and so when we do something like the community band, um, mm-hmm. I, I think about one of the reasons like, you know, why is this, what are the pros and cons of, of this mm, mashup of people? What are some of the things that we might encounter? What are some of the benefits of doing it? What are some of the detractions of doing it? And um, 
at the end of the day, I come back to like for, for all of our high school students and anyone who's in a school music program now, and I'll focus on music, but please know that it's applied to like any form of art. Um, my goal as an educator was always to create lifelong musicians. Yes, I wanted good bands. Yes, I wanted as many kids in the Allstate program as possible. Sure. You know, like some of those hallmarks. But at the end of the day, I just wanted people to keep playing their instruments and knowing what it gave me and the opportunities for travel and friendship and community that it provided me. I want to make sure that everyone has that. And that's one of the, the magical things about that particular ensemble. And I don't think though, I'm, I'll crush on them a little bit because I just love that group and they're so cool, but it is, um, it is just so inspiring to see them, you know, whether it's 15 or, or 15 plus 70, um, they are all <laughs> like, up for the challenge, up to keep learning, up to stay engaged and active. And there are some days where, you know, we finish rehearsal and like I'm beat and I'm ready to go home. And then everyone just stays and talks and they just chit chat mm -hmm. and, and I see friendships happening and it's, you know, the, the physical therapist and the, the retired music teacher and the banker are all just talking about things. And I just think where else in our world do we get to have um, a place where regardless of your your income level or your educational level or what you do for a living that you all get to come back and we make the same thing together. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's really cool and valuable. And I love being able to have those lifelong musicians as a, a mentor for our, our students who are in high school too, and see that they can keep playing. Um, with IMC, uh, that's a little bit of a bigger picture, obviously working with, you know, up to 2000 young people from across the world. Um, we, aim to be intentionally um, aware of, of everything that is going on and, and what people are bringing with them to camp. And um, sometimes that is just a matter of, uh, you know, kneeling down to the fifth grader who's away from mom and dad for the first time ever and just being like, how are you doing? And that mm -hmm. will be enough to like an adult listen to me and I'm ready to go. And sometimes it's, you know, the, the way that we word things, the way that we... Um, we, we take care of our print uh, publications. Something that's a goal of our organization is to how do how do we actively improve the access to uh, to what we do, whether it's physical or um, financial or everything. Like how do we remove those barriers that stop people from coming mm -hmm. to camp? And in the process, I think we we create a place that, for the most part, is is there, and and people do feel really comfortable and like they're supposed to be there. They're they're not. They're not in the wrong place. They're in the right place. Um, so, yeah, uh, I think all, a lot of things in my life have fed into that, you know, perspective of being able to do it. But, boy, it is so cool and rewarding when it works. And maybe that's like one of the biggest drivers of when we can overcome those hurdles and, and remove barriers and build a structure that allows people from all these different backgrounds to, to be together around one idea whether we're working towards a, a final performance or we're just hanging out together or mm -hmm. it's our community, like all of those things. How do we, how do we build that? And that's the stuff that keeps me up at night. Um, not out of fear, but just because my, my brain won't turn off. Uh, right. So, yeah. So then I sort of have a follow-up question. Do you feel the desire to create that safe space where there aren't barriers to it because you always had it? or because it was something that you felt like you needed to create in the world because there wasn't enough of it? Mm. That's a great question. 
feel like I need to sit down on a therapy chair. <laughs> right. No. I was going to say that might be. Uh, no, because, we don't, you, because you, I, like, you don't know what you're digging I know, at here, Shannon. I know. Sorry. <laughs> no, no but, because I, because it's, you know, we were, you were saying like, what is it that gives you that drive? Like what it is mm-hmm. it that allows you to pour that? And so it's like, is that innate in you? Mm-hmm. Have you, you know, did you come from that place where you grew from that environment? And so therefore you're able to provide it to everybody else. Or mm-hmm. is this, you know, more something that you feel passion to create because you don't think, you know, you haven't seen enough of it or felt enough of it. Yeah. I'm going to split the difference on both of those sides and it is not going to be one or the other, but it's going to be, I feel really compelled to create those spaces and places and organizations because it works and it pays back dividends. Like, um, I've been fortunate and I was fortunate enough to study abroad in college. And, um, one of the I think three month modules that we did was about global development and just how do we, how do we be the water that lifts all ships, right? Like Mm -hmm. how do we not only improve the local economy, how do we improve the state country world, all these things. And so um, I know that when, when we all do better, we all do better. And, and I don't mean to just speak in all these, you know, um, aphorisms and and other forms of of language but um if i can help you do better you're going to do better and i'm probably going to do better tangentially or secondarily because of it so you know some people um rightfully feel the you know just a personal drive to improve certain elements of their own life their career and and you know pursue those things and those are all really important because they yield some really amazing things but i definitely feel called to be maybe a caretaker um, of some of the people around me and, and help like, okay, like how do I help you get to that point? How do mm-hmm. I create that drive and inspiration in you so that you can go do that? Cause eventually that's going to come back to me and I'm going to benefit from that in some form. Um, yeah. So that's probably a really deep answer to your question. Sorry. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> it was probably like an unnecessarily deep question. So. Yeah, it's good. No, I mean, it was perfect. So, I mean, it takes a special person to do a lot of the things that you're doing. And I have, you know, I have my personal experience with International Music Camp forever ago. Um, and I know that it's something that, like, I, I still remember and still impacts me. And I'm, like, my daughter has had that experience now a few times and has really enjoyed it. Um, I also know from my daughter and community concert band with you. Like that is just a tremendous experience. You know, she's a high school student that's after, that's taking this opportunity because it's a different way of, of doing that thing because you get, you get stuck in the one element, mm-hmm. right? Especially as a high school kid, like you get stuck in like, that's your band experience. But now she's in a band where, like, she is now on the same plane as her music teacher. Like, her band teacher in high school is in the band with her. So, like, now they are equals in that setting. And it's really been a growth process for her. And it has influenced her to the point where she's now, like, she's going to be doing more music in college than two years ago she would have said she was going to be doing. Um, so I think that there's, there's a lot of power in what you're doing, um, through these programs, but it's not all you do. 
So we're going to shift <laughs> a little bit because... Is this where we talk about the accordion? That I, do I have to confess that? I, well, I was going to bring it there up. There are so many people was, who are impressed <laughs> with the fact that you play accordion. I was going to bring it up. So there are three other elements of Tim, and you have so many hats. So we'll, we'll talk about three of them. Um, one being environmental Tim. Uh, so you are the primary leader of thousand trees for Minot, Minot pollinator project, um, environmental and sustainable Minot. Uh, so there's that side of Tim. Then there's union silos, Tim, that you are involved in a massive undertaking to put a huge piece of work in a rural setting, um, which is something important to like our discussion within this podcast. Mm -hmm. And then there is the Tim that during the pandemic decided to pick up the accordion because you didn't have enough to else to do <laughs> with, <laughs> with all your things. Do you sleep? Tim? And, and, not well. <laughs> you know, at various events when you're not at IMC, you've been on the corner playing accordion. So, Tell us about some of these other things and the path that led you there. Yeah, um, gladly. Uh, so the the eco side of Tim, like I talked about earlier, was like my acknowledgement of of like this is just a part of who I am, and I need I can't I can't hide it. I can't really be quiet about it. I right. need to just find avenues for this side of me to come out. Um, so in teaching, we started a recycling program at the school there, and they instituted some energy saving and awareness things. Um, here in Minot, it it uh, started as a, a an online community called Environmentally Minded People of Minot, um, and that's grown to like seven hundred and forty ish people. It's just kind of a place to like ask questions that mm -hmm. you know that. The grumpy where can uncle. I get the reusable yeah, like, this? Where can, how can yeah, I address where, that? Where, where do I dispose of this correctly? Has anyone had any experience with this product? Mm -hmm. It's just a really cool forum, but it's also a place to share information about like when Minot was having its push for curbside recycling, we were able to say, all right, you know, you're kind of a subset of people that already have an interest in something like this. Here's who you can write letters to. Here's how you can communicate with your elected leaders. Um, and here's how we can kind of move the needle a little bit in our community. Um, so that's been a, like a great journey. And the two side projects off of that um, are the Minot Pollinator Project and um, Thousand Trees from Minot. And without getting too nerdy, because you might have opened Pandora's box and I'm sorry, I no, could that's okay. talk for hours this about is, this. This is the second the, reference the, to Pandora's box today. <laughs> and is. I had Katie read it last week for her like her literature lesson. So I am okay. just like loving all the mentions. Yeah, all right. It's, so. all right. it's showing up. Yeah. Also, there's nothing not nerdy about this podcast. Like <laughs> no, you can totally true. go. True. I am speaking to my people, I think. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So, you know, I, I look at uh, the environmental conversation happening in the world, um, and I definitely feel called as, you know, both an individual and a, a member of the world community to just do something. Um, the Minot Pollinator Project kind of works in the realm of supporting and preserving biodiversity. Um, as we talk about species becoming extinct, um, this is something that we can do. Obviously, we don't live in the tropics. We were not mm -hmm. a huge hotspot for biodiversity, but um, there are some things that we can do to help alleviate uh, the pressures and stress that are on some of our native insects and migratory birds and insects that come through here. So um, Pollinator Project is a really great way that we can marry both uh, supporting 
local biodiversity and also like community beautification because it usually involves flowering plants and public gardens and mm-hmm. um so we've got uh, 10 public gardens that are are now in the ground and and thriving um here in Minot and it's really neat to see I think the community find a way to engage with that concept of supporting and conserving biodiversity um, so I'm really glad that we have kind of an on-ramp I think for people from 8 to 85 to just you know be engaged with that concept um, Thousand Trees from Minot deals with a bigger concept of just um, the fact that our weather patterns are changing and we're in for a probably a couple decades of really weird things. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we don't know what exactly is going to happen, but we do know that trees uh, are a way to provide shade in, in warmer temperatures. Um, they're a way to support biodiversity as well through habitat. Um, they're community beautification. Like you plant a tree and your property value goes up like two to $5,000. Like it's a, an investment in mm-hmm. uh, that has a lot of really cool benefits for the community. So Thousand Trees for Minot, which has just as of yesterday rebranded to Two Thousand Trees for Minot, because oh, we saw wonderful. that announcement. We did, we did. I missed that. We did real good. <laughs> um, we've done very well through a lot of our community supporters and partners. Um, so that really aims to again marry the idea of we can beautify our community, we can invest in our future, um, and we can also provide um, some great environmental benefits uh, for whatever is coming down the pipeline at us. We're gonna. Trees will help us be more prepared for mm-hmm. it. So that's kind of a fun thing too. Um, and then we have all sorts of other just small engagement opportunities throughout the year, um, ways to, to keep learning and meeting other people with similar interests. Um, and it's been fun to see what that yields as a community builds around these conversations and topics, but also like, yeah, we get some forward progress, but we also build community and you know your neighbors and you make friends and there's there's a cool value and, and benefit to that. Okay, so that was Eco Tim. Um, so, and I'm gonna pause yeah. before you move on to other Tim um, because the eco conversation, which I I believe is seriously important in, in a community like Minot, mm-hmm. Uh, my not in particular, it's not an easy conversation to have with everybody. How, how did you manage to move the needle? How, how challenging has it been and what, what has fueled you to keep going with this? Yeah. So, um, thanks for noticing and saying something. It, it does require a lot of work to, uh, like we were talking about earlier, create that conversational space where we're acknowledging, a lot of different baggage that people might be bringing. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it annoys some people that I work with that um, I'm not maybe a little bit more upfront about certain aspects of the environmental conversation. Uh, But the reality is like, of because of where we live, because of the makeup of our industry and economy, there are simply things that we could pour hours and hours of energy and talking at each other and thousands and thousands of dollars and get nowhere. Or we could find avenues where yeah we can all move forward together on this concept and we can all move forward together on this concept and um when the pathway becomes available then then we'll move forward with it and so um i know that i'm very intentional when talking about things to make sure that everyone feels like they're able to be a part of the conversation in the way that they want to be and if they don't want to be that's okay too um but it's just kind of that invite really aims to be pretty broad um and encourages many people to be engaged because I love that you have like the the different avenues here. That's just like just the conversation with the environmentally minded people. But then you have 
these two very simple paths that very hard to argue against, but are important and meaningful and impactful with just planting trees and giving space to protect pollinators. Two very simple things, but just because they're simple doesn't mean they're going to be simple to do in an environment that's kind of working against you in so many ways. But you've, you've really done a good job of going these two paths and being able to make that successful. Thanks. I appreciate that. Did you have any sort of mentorship or uh, education in, in learning how to do that? Because I'm, th- I'm just thinking like, again, like on a, like a macro level, like that is extremely skillful and something that especially in today's like social climate, we could all look at like uh, as a way to approach a lot of different issues is looking at, okay, where can we, sure. Where can we, you know, bring the needle to center? Mm. Like, is that just I think innately, it's, Tim? It's probably the school of hard knocks. Like I've, I've messed up a lot. <laughs> I've, I've failed so many times. And, you know, in this particular instance, it's like, uh, you know, I'll sit down to, to talk to my Aunt Mary about something and, and her eyes glaze over in like 30 seconds. And I'm like, shoot, I went too far. So honing that conversation skill of like, how do we be succinct? How do we... How do we get people, you know, to to agree on the things that we can all agree on and, and find a path forward? Together? It just comes back to that, like riding the border and trying to make sure that everybody's comfortable. Yeah. And, yeah. Okay. Totally. Yeah. Well, and it's a different different aspect of riding the border because you can talk to talk to you talk about people who um, just ride the fence on things. Right. Like they're not they're not taking a strong position one way or the other. They're the ones that get by by being safe. Right. Right. But the, you're genuinely uh, caring that there's a place for people on either side right but you're you're not you're not riding the fence you are dancing on a border because you can you can exist in both realms and pull what you need from one side or the other to make sure that what you believe in is able to happen yeah i would i would argue that maybe it's a little bit like standing you know that cartoon image of like the person who's holding together the two sides Mm mm-hmm and then add in dodgeballs. And that's kind of what I feel like sometimes uh, of just like, let's keep it together, folks. And then occasionally there's these things that get thrown at you uh, on top of it all. But uh, it's really worthwhile work, too. Yeah. It's also cool. Okay, so that was Ecotim. Yeah, that was Ecotim. I mean, I have my bag of clover. <laughs> yeah. You're clover ready to go. So I'm ready to go. Okay, so do we talk about accordion, Tim, next? Is that, or what was next? The next, in the, next in my line Union was silos, Union Tim. Silos, Tim. Yeah. Um, I think that the Minot community is wonderful and that everyone in the world should come here and just be surprised by the creative community and the quirky charmness. That's not a word. The quirkiness and charm of, of what this community is because it is, it is so fun and unexpected, completely unexpected. And, the Union Silos is a way to take a very large work of art. Um, that is, you know, if we say art is like hoity-toity and put it on a big old grain silo, which we would say is like blue-collar agricultural. And they are 100% both of those things. Mm-hmm. And so I think, you know, <laughs> to go back to our earlier analogies, like it is kind of just, 
putting everyone in a get along shirt and saying, here we are, you're going to have to, to deal with the fact that we have this grain silo that for years was, was kind of dead. Um, and it's getting some new life back into it. And we're just going to put this giant work of art on it that is going to have, you know, national recognition and notoriety. And, um, yeah. Does that answer? I think I, mean, I, that, I, that, that, I, I that love it. And, and I think, um, you know, without ha- like making an introduction to the project, I know I'm sure we've talked about it at some point. Um, but I think there's a lot of people who are really excited about it. And I do love it's just like, okay, we're going to respect this thing that you either believe is an eyesore or a memorable part of heritage. Mm-hmm. And we're going to. And right now it's both. Right. I mean, I grew up with that building. Like, I know, I know that building from growing up on a farm. Like, this was. And then you're just going to make it something fantastic. Yeah. 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 Without tearing it down. Like, it's still going to be what it is 100%. So now do we get to talk about accordion? Now we get to talk about accordion, Tim. All right. I learned to play piano second grade. So, disclaimer, half the skills were already there. (laughs) Um, but only the left hand correct yeah uh and then i have a music degree so that's like the other hand for all the theory stuff but uh yeah wait the piano's on the right hand piano's on the keyboard's on the the right right hand hand. yeah the the chords are all on the left hand but um yeah it started with a family friend of my parents who uh, had like five accordions and they went to a big like party and somehow my parents ended up with an accordion coming home that night um and then like we were coming through for the holidays i the first time i played the accordion it was upside down and backwards and like (laughs) christine's posted a picture on social media and i had a bajillion people being like "Mm -mm, try that again tim and so (laughs) my first lesson in accordion playing um when we got to the pandemic uh well actually before the pandemic a friend had given me an accordion and a little method book as kind of a like haha funny gift and mm. so i would use it to kind of troll some of my staff um and friends <laughs> at, at camp just because it was like how funny is this that my boss is playing the accordion and he's not good um, <laughs> so it it kind of was a gag for a really long time and then um in the pandemic we had we had time and it was that like first couple of months where everything was like i'm gonna do my birthday party online and it's gonna be this drop-in thing and so uh it was a friend who is in a rock band like uh his wife was soliciting all of the like hey send your musical clips like we're gonna put this together in a video for him he's gonna love it and um i again maybe out of spite or just facetiousness i was like i'm gonna troll him too like i'm just gonna (laughs) submit this this accordion thing of me playing whatever um and then it just kind of turned into this like wouldn't this be funny if you're scrolling through your social media feeds and you find this guy playing accordion and it kind of grew into um like a regular comic bit i think it for the first month or two it was really just out of like this is ridiculous i'm so bad you know here i am and then but people loved it in all seriousness it grew into this poignant amazing thing for my for my extended family who you know, I, because of uh, living 10 hours away from my closest, you know, extended relative, like this was a way to connect. And a mm-hmm. lot of my cousins have young kids. And so like they would literally sit down every Saturday and watch uncle cousin Tim and he would play and they'd submit their requests ahead of time. And it turned into this like extended family gathering of like Tim making a total fool of himself. <laughs> and then I also realized kind of through that process of, um, you know, there is 
<laughs> there is a grace at sucking at something and just publicly improving. Like, I think I think a lot of the comments that I heard from friends uh, were actually like comments of, of gratitude and and bravery. And not to get like you know too philosophical here, but there were some people who said like you just you just taught me that it's okay to be bad and I don't mm-hmm. have to be afraid. Like I can pursue things that I love because I love them, not because I'm good at them, not because there's monetary value. Like I just like doing this and I'm going to go do it. And so by the end, you know, once, once like in my family in particular, cause we were just very cautious, like once we were ready to get out and, and our lives kind of returned to normal in terms of social engagements, um, it, it had just turned into this like, yeah, philosophical moment in my life of appreciating just making music for the sake of music and being really vulnerable publicly, um, especially with people that I love and care about so that they know that it's okay to, to go for it. And, and, and you're still going to just, just have fun, just have a great time, do what you love because you love it. That's one of my favorite encouragements is just to tell, like make bad art. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what an important message in the arts. Yeah, like particular not well. First not, of all, you have to, only but you arts. have to make bad art before right. you can learn to make anything that's not bad. But also, just art making for the sake of it and allowing it to be what it is. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Well, and it's something that we don't. I I grew. I I took piano at a very young age from my from my grandma, and at some point in elementary school after years of piano lessons I stopped getting piano lessons from her anymore and I went to another person for like a year and then I stopped piano lessons and I stopped playing the piano and then many years later I went back and tried taking piano lessons again because I had found Harry Connick Jr. Mm. and I wanted to play piano like Harry Connick Jr. and I didn't after the first year and I stopped piano (laughs) And how stupid is that? Like, who is going to do Nobody. Like, it's going to take a lot of time and effort for you to do that. But how many of us get bogged down into the idea of, oh, I can't do it like this super successful person, so I'm no good and I shouldn't do it anymore. That super successful person probably took 20 years before they were able to do what they do. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. That super successful person has also probably identified all of their weak spots and learned to compensate and avoid any right. exposure to those things in the yeah. public set. You know, yeah. like yeah. it just takes time yeah. and practice and failing many, many times. Right. Right. Yeah. So yeah, it's a, such a fun thing to put out there. I caught them every once in a while on a Saturday night. I'd be like, well, Oh, Tim's on. <laughs> Shake my head. Yeah. No, Tim. <laughs> Tim, that was really bad again. But, and like, even my aunts would be like, you're not as bad anymore. <laughs> like, Thank so you. Sweet. Thank you. Well, I never looked at it. I, I, I guess, and honestly, the, the times that I did watch, I don't know that ever, I ever had a moment of, Oh, Tim, that's bad. Like it was never that it was, it was always a, look at him. (laughs) Just, just look at him go. Like he's, he's playing the accordion. Like that, that in and of itself, the fact that you picked it up and started playing with like that was that was enough for me like that it didn't i didn't i didn't say oh he sucks i said <laughs> he's doing this <laughs> it was a thing and right. it still is i i 
I love that it started out ironically. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like That's totally great. trolling friends of just like, this is so funny. Uh, That's hilarious. I feel like I also need to admit at this point that I did grow up watching copious amounts of the Muppets. So like some of my sense of reality <laughs> and humor does come from like, the only thing funnier than me playing the accordion would be a penguin playing the accordion. Sure. Here, so yeah, all good. Being shot out of a cannon. True. The penguin right. playing the accordion right. being shot out of the cannon. Okay. Well, yeah. let's, uh, let's find you a penguin costume and a cannon. Yep. <laughs> Still time. I'm scared. <laughs> Um, what are you excited about that's happening? Yeah. Um, so I participated <laughs> in, <laughs> in the uh, I participated in the North Dakota Change Network through the Bush Foundation this last year in Strength and ND. Oh. Um, and so my project through that that I received some grant funding for was actually to host um, four different uh, community engagement sessions to just kind of listen and allow people across the community to listen to what everyone kind of wants next in terms of environmental sustainability here. Um, it's been super eye-opening. I have that email. I have not responded My to it. I'm sorry. <laughs> All good. Uh, you are busy people. So please know the invitation is always open, but never expected. Um, so I think just being able to like host that conversation and kind of see what comes of it. I'm, I'm super stoked about that. Um, talked a little bit about the upcoming tour for the Sub-Zero Winds. I'm excited about that. Obviously, we're getting ready for the 68th season of the International Music Camp. Um, so I'm pretty thrilled about that. And um, I don't know. I think that's, that's kind of it on my my list or my radar other than just kind of keeping just everything else things. yeah it's just just, yeah just, just a couple things yeah. i think when it, com- when it comes to tim i think the more appropriate question is there anything you're not excited about uh, that's coming no. up like, yeah. <laughs> he's like i won't answer that yeah. well and we've heard a lot about what you're doing for the community how can our community help you uh, wow. Thanks. That's a great question. Um, uh, you know, I encourage you to, uh, be active and engaged, obviously follow the Minot Area Council of the Arts, Union Silos Public Art Project, um, thousand, 2000 Trees for Minot, um, the Minot Pollinator Project, Environmentally Minded People in Minot. Uh, there's all those ways to kind of be engaged. International if, Music International Camp. International Music Camp. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and so there's ways to, to do that. Um, I, I should say, send your kids to camp. Summer camp is such a valuable and important and formative part of their their experience of being kids. And um, my hope is that it sets them up for success uh, to just be a little more resilient and have some good camp stories and doing campy camp things because it's it's great. Well, it's um, campy camp and they learn. Yeah. Like, like my daughter comes back after a week and like her, her, her skill and confidence and everything just gets built yeah it's pretty in the course of that time it's pretty awesome yeah um and then i would say if you've ever been on the fence about like do i start something do i do something i would just really encourage you as part of our community to uh, be brave and jump out and give it a shot it'll either go you know, horribly and then you'll learn and then you'll be ready for the next time and, and we're going to be supportive and encouraging of you or it'll go really well and you just never know where your journey is going to take you. So, um, yeah, I would just encourage everyone be be brave on that and um, I hope that you, you can find that place where you're comfortable to try those things that you've always uh, wanted to do. That's lovely. Mm-hmm. Great advice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we'll finish up with our, our typical last question of, of the of the talk, which is, if you had one arts-related 
um, piece of advice that you would give somebody visiting the area or new to the area, what would it be? I would say uh, if you have kids, send them to the International Music Camp. If you don't have kids, um, I would encourage you to check out the Minot Symphony. I think it's just a great launching pad into the arts community. Uh, you're going to meet some fabulous people and you're going to be entertained. And it's, uh, it's a neat collection of individuals from across the spectrum of our community uh, coming together for, for a great concert every couple months. Great, thanks. Yeah. All right. Well, Tim, thank you so much for joining us today. My it's pleasure. It's been a great conversation. My pleasure. Thank you both. Yeah. This is the Minot Arts Podcast, a map to the arts in small town America with your hosts, Justin. And Chandel. Thanks for listening. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed our antics today and would like to hear more from us, we'd greatly appreciate you leaving a review or subscribing via whatever platform it is that you're listening to podcasts on. The Mind on Arts podcast is hosted by Justin Anderson and Shandell Latin, is presented as a program of the Minot Area Council of the Arts in Minot, North Dakota, and is produced by Brandon Tronson of More Than Music. This project is supported in part by Grant from the North Dakota Council on the Arts, which receives funding from the state legislature and the National Endowment for the Arts. Thank you again for listening. If you'd like to learn more about us or any of our programming, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram or online at minotarts.org. Thank you.